this morning, I would like to make a starting point um, on our celebration month. We've dedicated the month of October to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the founding of Victory Christian Center. Um, and uh, what we would like to do over the next month or so, we would like to revisit some of what we might call our signature messages that we've preached from the day we started as a local church. Some of you have been uh, around for a while. Uh, you remember, and of course, certain things that we repeat over and over. Um, and for some of you, it's, it may be sort of, uh, um, you know, new thoughts, new, new concepts, um, and uh, perhaps haven't heard such an emphasis on certain things, maybe place the emphasis. You know, the reality is, friends, that every local church has a, a certain culture. Uh, every house has a particular philosophy of doing ministry. We all preach the gospel. We all preach the word of God. But sometimes we place the emphasis a bit more on certain things than on other things. And I would like to just re-emphasize who we are, what we believe, and where we are going. So we will re-preach some of those key truths um, that have helped to build this house and that have helped to build the people that are a part of the house and even the ones that have been a part of the house and uh, have since moved on. Also, what I would like to do as part of this uh, journey, uh, journeying through the month of October, is I would like to project ahead and forecast what the future will look like. You know, we have every expectation that we will continue to go from strength to strength and that we continue to go from glory to glory. And should Jesus Christ indeed tarry and not return over the next 30 years, then I'm confident that we will continue to do great exploits for God. You remember that the book of Daniel, chapter 11, verse 32, where it says that the people that know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do great exploits. Now, I need to let you know that I would be very, very surprised if Jesus did not return very soon, and if it still would be another 30 years, I would be more than surprised. I have an expectation in my heart that Jesus is coming back soon. But should the return of the Lord not happen in the next 30 years, then we're going to get stronger and stronger. We're going to become more and more effective in reaching out and reaching lost people uh, and teaching people and how to live a successful and a, uh, a successful and a victorious life. By the way, uh, the title of this message today in this series is Living a Life of Faith and Victory. Living a Life of Faith and Victory. And I thought it would be an appropriate title because we are people of faith and we are people of victory. You know, when we chose the name way back in the beginning of Victory Christian Center, uh, that wasn't just because we like the sound of the word victory uh, somehow, but we like the concept of it, and we like the truth of it. So that came through much prayer and said, God, who do you want us to be, who you've made us to become? And the word victory has uh, come up, and we are called Victory Christian Center. This is part of a distinctive of this house, a part of the feature uh, that somehow, uh, you know, we just, uh, we just expect to have victory. You know, it's not without its battles. Uh, the Bible says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, uh, but out of them all the Lord delivers us. And sometimes there's a battle, one way or the other. We are fighting a battle somewhere. We've got challenges going on, but God helps us to overcome. He helps us to be victorious. Uh, the Bible says that He always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Despite the circumstances, he causes us to triumph. We overcome, all right? And for the next 30 years, uh, I'm convinced of it that I'm going to have a slice of the action. Uh, I am in no hurry to go to heaven. Um, and in fact, uh, some of my siblings are talking about retiring, and some of them have already retired, and they say to me, when are you going to retire? I says, what do you mean? I'm only just getting started. Uh, I'm now 62 years old, and I finally reckon I've got a better handle on things than what I had when I was 30 years old. I know my strengths more, my weaknesses more. I'm much more comfortable with who I am, but I know, I know the calling and the anointing that God's placed on my life, and, and there's more coming, by the way. There's more coming, and, uh, and we're just going to get stronger and stronger stronger 
I've decided that I wasn't going to be old until I get past 100 years old. I'm just going to get, get more mature. All right. And uh, I'm making every effort to keep this body uh, in the best shape that it can. Because if the body conks out, I need to go to heaven. And I'm in no hurry to go to heaven. So keep the body fit. Do what you can. Because we're planning to be around for a long time. Everybody say a long time. God says in Psalm 91, with long life do I satisfy you and show you my salvation. God's plan for you is long life. And God's plan for us is to be, live fruitful lives to live productive lives, and uh, to live a victorious life. And some of us are really excited this morning. Let me open the Word uh, and read to you from 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. And uh, we've got it on the Scripture on the screen behind me. Um, and it's also in your outline. Um, and so we've started, uh, in case anybody's wondering, we've started. Here we go. First John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everybody say everyone. Yeah. All right. Everyone born of God. How many of you are born of God? And you know it, <laughs> that you're born again. All right. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Uh, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this passage of Scripture, and there are others, but this passage of Scripture for sure encapsulates who we are and who we have become and who we are becoming. <laughs> okay. And none of us have arrived. You know, we are where we are, but we are on the journey. And we're becoming more and more who God made us to be. And this scripture here tells us that, uh, that uh, it tells us who we are. And, and, you know, it speaks here about the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we are born of God. And because of that, because we are born of God, we overcome the world. God's made us overcome us. God hasn't made us victims. He made us victors. When we get born again, we need to change our mind because many people, when they get born again, they got a victim mentality. And there needs to be a renewing of the mind and a shifting from forever struggles and defeat and, and, and so forth into a life of victory. And that is a journey. It does not happen overnight. But praise God that we are born of God. This is a spiritual birth. Jesus spoke about the need in John chapter 3, the need to be born again. He says, you must be born again. And uh, furthermore, and I'm kind of letting you know who you are. Uh, we reach out to others so that they too can become born again. I put that sentence in, in brackets there because that's not specifically stated in the two verses that we're reading here, but it's certainly covered in plenty of other spaces. So this is part of who we are. We are an outward-looking church. We have never been inward-looking. We are always an outward-looking church, and we are an outreaching church, and we're reaching people for God, and once they're reached, we help them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is our vision. That is who we are. And we're also people of faith and of victory. The Bible in here speaks about faith and it speaks about victory. And that's who we are. People of faith. And because we are people of faith, we're also people of victory. You can't be a person of victory without being a person of faith. You know, sometimes people, when we talk about who are you and what do you believe, and, you know, there's multiple things that we say. You know, we're a Pentecostal church. We are, we're a, you know, we believe in the, in the gifts of the Spirit, and, and we, you know, we are a word of faith church. And, and they say, what's that? We say, well, we place a bit of emphasis on faith. And, and so, a couple of times people have said, oh, gosh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a different doctrine. I says, no, 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 it's not a different doctrine at all. It's just a special emphasis. We place faith, emphasis on faith because we can see things in the Word of what is possible when we embrace faith and we begin to operate by faith. And, uh, you know, amongst other things, I feel a sense of responsibility that God's made us the stewards of a message called the faith message. And it's all in the Bible. 
And so therefore, I sometimes feel a little gentle pressure uh, that we ought to be manifesting more of God's blessing and more of the goodness of God than what others do who do not understand that emphasis that we have emphasized for the last 30 years. People of faith and of victory, and we overcome the world by our faith. He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Even our faith. So when we have faith, we can have victory. If we want victory, we've got to have faith, because faith leads to victory. Faith is not made for a life of defeat. Faith is made for a life of victory. Now, <laughs> I don't want to give the wrong impression that people think that once you are a Christian and once you, you, know, you learn faith and all your problems are over, no, 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 it only better equips you for problems. It only better equips you to overcome the challenges in life because challenges are many. We live in a broken world. <laughs> we live with a fallen human race. And we live even with a flesh that we still have uh, uh, kind of hanging around, even though we're born again and we may brand new inside. So we've got plenty of challenges, but by faith, we overcome every single one of them. Was it Paul that said, Paul the Apostle says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So if you've got afflictions going on in your life, do not feel guilty. It's just part of normal living. All right? Challenges that are going on, but by faith, we learn how to overcome. In the New Living Translation, it says, we achieve this victory through our faith. We achieve this victory through our faith. So we are word of faith people. We're faith people, unashamedly. We preach the word of faith unashamedly. It's like there is almost like a deal where sometimes preachers, teachers of the word, try to bring the word downward to where the people are to make the people feel better. But we preach the word where it is, and we encourage people to believe the word so it lifts them up to what the word says. You don't make a person feel good by agreeing with their defeat. Instead of saying, well, you know, just got to do the best you can until you get to heaven. Only the flesh feels good in that. But a born-again spirit knows that there is a better place that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. That God's given us a word. He sent his word to heal us and to deliver us out of all of our afflictions. So today, we will outline some of the key truths that I would hope to cover over the next several weeks. And I want to discuss a few things, a couple of questions here. How can I become a person of faith? And am I a person of faith? Or am I just mentally ascending or assenting to some of these truths, but somehow not really employing faith in my life. How can I learn to live by faith and walk in victory? You know, it's been a, probably one of the more rewarding experiences of, uh, of uh, my life and Pastor Vanessa's life in over 30 years. We've watched people, um, you know, people typically, if they come out of the world, many people come in some sort of a broken state. Uh, and see their lives being rebuilt. And it's not something that we have done. All we do is we teach the word that renews minds and that, that challenges wrong thinking and wrong practices in people's lives. And people lay a hold of it and seeing their lives rebuilt and turning from victims into victors and learning how to hold their chin high, and learning how to succeed and how to overcome in life. That is probably one of the most rewarding things that uh, we have experienced and still do. How do I learn to become a person of faith and to lay a hold of these things? 
When I look back over Pastor Nessus and my early Christianity and some of our uh, people that we looked up to, pastors that we had and teachers that we had that taught us the word, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so grateful for what we've been taught. It's like, wow. You know, I keep on saying they taught us well. And, uh, and I look right back and, you know, some of the, some of the teaching that we've received from people like Kenneth Hagen, uh, he was just an excellent guy. I mean, he went to heaven some years ago, but the truths that he taught are still around today. And they've built a community of faith people that are not living from defeat to defeat. Um, though sometimes we live from battle to battle, but it's good when we win the battle and we have victory. And we come out in victory after the battle rather than we fought the battle and there's still defeat. And I look back and uh, uh, see how our lives have been transformed by these truths. And I remember distinctly certain messages that we have been taught. In some instances, I remember that roughly the time um, and, and sometimes the place. But most certainly, I remember the truth that was taught that we decided we're going to lay a hold of this. And the preaching of the Word has been transformational for us. I mean, it's transformed our lives. And we didn't say, we didn't say, let's try this to see if it'll work for us. We didn't say, let's, let's try to give our life to Jesus to see if we will end up one day in heaven. This is something that you either do or you don't do. And once you're in, you're in boots and all. And the same it is with the Word. Once you lay a hold of the Word, you're not just dabbling and then, you know, let's try this to see if this will work. We can see it in the Word that it works. And we will just uh, continue to tweak this thing and, and adjust our lives around the Word so that the Word will work in our lives. So in 1 John chapter 5, we're still there in the same chapter, verse 11. It says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. How many of you know that you got eternal life? The Bible speaks or indicates of an assurance of salvation. Once we are saved, we know that we are saved, and we have assurance that we're saved and that we're going to heaven. We're not sort of toggling in and out. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Will I go to heaven? Or yes, I will go to heaven. We know, we know, he says here, that we have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And the first point that I would like to make, and I've, I've got four areas, four points I would like to cover. The first one is this, that living by faith begins by believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I know I'm stating the obvious. But friends, sometimes it bothers me when you go, step into a certain situation, um, places that are called a church. Uh, there's all the singing that goes on. There's all the other stuff that goes on. And there's never hardly a mention of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. It kind of bothers me. I've been guilty of that. Sometimes I preach the whole message and then I walk around and think, oh, I didn't mention Jesus Christ. It's like, come on. <laughs> Friends, this church is built around the revelation that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. I remember getting into the revival meetings there in Pensacola back in the early, mid-90s. Uh, um, name will come to me in just a moment, the church there, and Steve Hill was the evangelist that was preaching night after night, and I remember him saying one day, he says, people come from all around the world. They try to find a kind of a formula for revival, and they try to 
figure out what is it. Is it the leadership of the pastor? Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's the evangelist. Maybe he's the one that makes it all happen. He says, and they try to analyze us. And he says, it's a little bit like peeling an onion where you take away one layer and then you got another layer under there. And they peel it right back until, to the get to, until they get to the very core. And he says, this is what they discover. They discover at the very core what they really see is the old rugged cross. And then the one that hung on there and shed his blood so we could all be redeemed. So for all the other things that go on, and there's a lot of things going on. <laughs> it's multiple things that are going on. But let's never forget that walking a life of faith and victory begins by believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This scripture tells us that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Now, this is a crucial scripture. I don't know if any of you have ever wondered about why you are saved and other people are not saved and why you got saved when you got saved. And, you know, most of us are asking the same questions or have asked the same questions. It's really quite simple. It's really quite simple. God wants everybody saved. And somehow, you came under the sound of the gospel. Somebody shared the good news of Jesus' sacrificial death, his burial, and his resurrection. And you decided that you was going to surrender your life to Jesus, repent of your sins, and you got born again. That's how, that's how you got saved. And that's why you got saved. And that's why we're reaching out to other people. God doesn't sort of just figure out, it's like, oh, who, you know, looking over the population, who shall be saved next? No, no, God wants everybody saved. And God says, you, the, the people of God, the, my children, God says, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is tasked with the job of reaching out and telling the good news to other people so that they too can be saved. And what I'm here to tell you, my friend, is that eternal life is only in God's Son, Jesus Christ. There is no eternal life separate from or outside of Jesus Christ. And I used to wonder about my relatives and my friends when I first got saved. And so I thought, gosh, you know, somehow, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they can get saved after they, after they die. You know, maybe there's a way... But you see, I keep on coming back to this scripture. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Now, this is very black and white, friends. There is no back door into heaven. People say, oh, so-and-so died. Did they go to heaven? Well, here is the parameter. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So the question is not, did they go to heaven or not? The question is, did they have the Son? If they had the Son, they got born again. I'm sorry to say, if they did not have the Son, they did not have eternal life. Because eternal life is only in the Son. And once we are born again, we are in the Son. So living by faith continues. You know, it begins by believing in Jesus and it continues by continuing to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's always amazed me that sometimes people launch out and they start say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to learn to walk by faith. And, you know, we're going to learn the language of faith. We're going to bridle our tongue. We get into the Word because it feeds our spirit and faith comes by here. And we've got to get into that. And they give it a bash for a couple of years and say, oh, this hasn't quite worked this good. I'm going to go off to other things. Uh, and uh, the question is, are still pe people still walking in faith today? Well, the question is this, are they continuing to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? It's what we believed 10 years ago does not actually matter today. It's what we believe today and what we do today. You see, the Israelites soon learned that they couldn't live on, on yesteryear's manna. They had to have fresh manna every day. Fresh manna every day. There's something about a daily, a daily uh, deal where we daily feed our spirit with God's Word, where we daily pray, we daily worship God, and, and that we're not becoming Sunday Christians, though we come together as Christians on a Sunday. 
Everybody good this morning? So, Victory Christian Center absolutely is founded and built on the revelation that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. And by the way, every other church, it's the same thing. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If we had time, we could talk about how one day Jesus asked his disciples, uh, Matthew chapter 16, he says, who do men say that I am? So, oh, you know, some people say that you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Some said you're Jeremiah the prophet. And uh, then he said, who do you say that I am? And that was a profound question because it's subtly rather than, oh, this is what other people are saying. He says, well, what are you saying? And Peter stood up and he says, you are the Christ. You, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And uh, Peter had the revelation, possibly ahead of the others. But if the others had it, you know, Peter's always out the, out the front. It's just that sort of a guy. He says, you are, you, are the, you are the Messiah. You are the one that the Old Testament prophesied about. The deliverer that was going to come, you're it. And he says, Peter, and just sort of goes through a dialogue there. He says, you, you know, your name is Peter. And, 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 uh, and he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On this rock. The church is built on the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. People say the church is built on Jesus, and that is correct. Absolutely correct. But in this instance, the church is built on the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I've said over the years that, uh, you know, our, our Christianity is only as strong as what our revelation is deep. And uh, of Jesus Christ being the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And by the way, whether we live in victory or in defeat, Jesus Christ is still Lord. Whether we're in the middle of a battle at the front end of it or, or at the latter end or out the other side, Jesus is Lord all the way through. He is the head of the church. He is the chief cornerstone and his multiple other things. And we do not have time to cover every aspect of who Jesus is and every name that has been assigned to him and given to him. But, you know, chief cornerstone, um, you know, they talked in the Old Testament. He says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, chief cornerstone in the way that they used to build buildings is when they lay out the foundation and dig the foundation, they'd find a rock that would typically be at the corner, cornerstone, and, and align the walls, and then everything was built around this starting point. And so Jesus Christ is the starting point of the church, and he's also the finishing point of the church. He says, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'm the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. So, friends, I'm stating the obvious, and I'm telling you what you already know. But Victory Christian Center is soundly built on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the risen Son of the living God, and we can never get away from that. Take Jesus out, and everything collapses. And that's how, sadly, churches become social clubs. And rather than reaching people, they get into doing good works, uh, which the Bible calls dead works. If it's not for the advancement of the gospel, it's just another thing that people can get involved in. Number two, living by faith can only be done out of the new creation. Let me speak to you about who you are today. And if you're truly born again, and I don't doubt it for one moment, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old 
previously moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. Let me tell you this morning, if you're born again, you're fresh and you're new. <laughs> Let me say it again. You are fresh and you are new. Paul the Apostle, preaching in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, he says, We know that our old man was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Isn't that good news that we're no longer enslaved to sin? Isn't it good news that we're no longer dominated by sin, but we're dominated by the Holy Spirit? We are dominated by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are dominated by the Word of God that tells us how to live. You know, once we're born again, the Bible calls our old spirit the old man. And it calls our new spirit that we have received, we call, it calls it the new creation. And we covered that extensively in our School of the Word 1, and we're in the middle of it right now. And just to refocus, it, sometimes people try to, try to rehash the old. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like self-improvement. People get into self-improvement, and they even get in, you know, they're not born again, but self-improvement, it's always good if people try to improve themselves. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm all for that. Or they even do positive affirmations, and they even say positive things because, uh, you see, the motivational speakers have figured out that this will actually work. It'll help to make people's lives better. But here's the deal, friends. The Bible says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And trying to live by faith out of the old man is like trying to teach an old donkey on how to be a racehorse. You can try to train him. You can trim his tail. You can fold his ears back so he doesn't look like a donkey. You can dress him up. You can put lays around his neck. But he's still an old donkey. Still an old donkey. Paul called him the old man. And I say from time to time that in my house, nobody calls me the old man. I think that is a rude term. I think it's just a rude term. Honor your father. Call him, you know, by, by his proper designation. Don't call him the old man. <laughs> so we can only walk by faith out of our newly born again spirit. And that's what's happened when we got born again, we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, God gave us a brand new spirit. He looked at the old and he says, this thing is beyond repair. Let's nail that jolly thing to the cross together with Jesus and let's give him all a brand new spirit. Now, I say this from time to time, but when we get saved, you know, the body is still the same. The God promised that he will heal and that he will strengthen us. Um, and that he will sustain us, and so forth. And then we look at our mind. The mind is still the same. You know, the soul or the mind is still the same, the same mind, but it needs renewing, and there's a constant, uh, a constant renewal going on, but the spirit is brand new, made perfect, pure and holy in God's sight. That's why when we come before God and we need something, the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, verse 12. Boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. We don't come before God in the, in the flesh. We come before God in, with our brand new spirit. And we come in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't come in our own righteousness, self-made righteousness. We come in the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. So amazingly, even though we've done all of this stuff wrong, we've sinned and everything, we can hold our head high in God's presence. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. No need to grovel. No need to beg. It's just approach God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. You know, our recreated spirit 
has been designed by God to live by faith. Sometimes we call ourselves Christians. Sometimes we call ourselves believers. You know, believers know how to believe. We believe the Word of God. We believe in the name of the Son of God. We believe everything the Bible says from creation all the way through to the endless eternity and everything between, just like the Bible stated it. Honestly, I don't let science get in the way. I'm all for science. I certainly do not philosophy get in the way. I just believe the Bible from wall to goal. I don't care how many more proofs that come up that, you know, the world has evolved. I don't care. It's like, I can't be convinced anymore. I'm already convinced that God created the world. <laughs> and now they're telling us that in terms of all the stuff that goes on environmentally, that this is the end. This is the end. Uh, well... It's, it's interesting how the focus, and some changes need to be made. Don't get me wrong. Uh, in fact, uh, at heart, I've got very much a, uh, an environmental concern, and I'm, uh, I'm probably a whole lot greener than what some of you might realize. But you see, the focus of the world goes on all of the natural things. Let's save ourselves. Let's stop driving cars. Stop eating meat on Monday. Do more of this and less of that. And in the meantime, multitudes of millions of people going to hell all around us. And they say, you Christians, step aside. You've got nothing to say to us. We've got science. We're the humanists. And humanism always puts the focus where it does not belong. Yes, there needs to be a focus on the environment. Yes, there needs to be a focus on doing things better and differently. Absolutely. I'm not in any way against it. I'm all for it. In fact, if I had time, I'd tell you a few things. What I do personally, because I've got a, a, a care and a concern for the environment. But that's it. Don't look at my car, because you're not supposed to drive a big car, and I just like big cars. <laughs> but I make up for it in other areas. I really do. I really do. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak. You know, our faith, it's learning to walk by faith. Our faith is released out of our spirit of faith by speaking faith-filled words. And if anybody can, needs any revelation about how to walk by faith, this is the revelation. Faith is already given to us because when we hear the word of God, faith comes. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. But now that we have faith, how do we get this thing to work? Because faith comes and faith goes. And faith goes. Faith leaves us by speaking faithful words out of a faith-filled Spirit, and Paul here calls it a spirit of faith. The old spirit that got nailed to the cross was a spirit of doubt and unbelief at best. But when we got born again, we received a brand new spirit. And Paul says, we have the same spirit of faith. And he picks up a prophecy or picks up a, a comment out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Psalms, where the psalmist says, we believed and therefore we spoke. And then Paul says, hey, we also believe and therefore speak. He says, we have the same spirit of faith. We believe and therefore we speak. We do this all the time. We just don't do it as consciously. You know, when we get married, for, the, for those of us that they get married, we, we, looked at you, we looked at each other and we say, I will. And with our words, we made a commitment. I remember when Vanessa and I were in Bible college and uh, the call was made that there was a, a, a missionary trip organized to go into Asia for three, three and a half weeks. And uh, when I heard that, I thought, gosh, how could that ever be done? You know, with the finance, I got a young family and, you know, how, how would that do? But, but I, I, when they said, okay, who, 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 who wants to go? My, my hand went up and says, I will, I, I will go. And when I 
put up my hand and I spoke the words. As far as God was concerned, from that moment forward, it is a done deal. Because I'm still trying to figure out how to get the money together. That's <laughs> the starting point. There was a considerable cost attached to it and uh, some distance into it. And, you know, praise God, and God comes through fast. It's just a real relief. But sometimes, you know, God will come through, but we're some, not always, uh, you know, quite sure how God's going to do it. And, and uh, a good friend of mine uh, was also in Bible college with us. He couldn't go, but he, he came to our house one day, and he says, oh, man, he says, I haven't slept all night. He says, uh, he says uh, I had a terrible night. He says, I couldn't sleep. He says, I kept on waking up, and God kept on telling me that I need to give you the money so he can go on the mission trip. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and uh, and uh, praise God, and talk about God waking us up. And so I went on the mission trip, and he paid the bills, and on the way back, I was on, on the flight. We were on the flight back from... Uh, from Asia into Sydney, back into Wellington, and on the way I was sleeping, and God woke me up, and he said, did you buy a present for the man, at least to bring him something back? Like, just completely, completely forgot about it, and so God woke me up and did the right thing, just spend a few dollars and bring something back, so that there's at least an acknowledgement for the man, you know, forking out considerable sums of money so that I was able to go on the mission trip, but in the end, it's all about faith. Once we make a commitment, we put the word out. God's got something to work with. Faith is released. I will go. I haven't figured out how, but I will go. I will do this. You know, when we, when we stand in front of each other and, and, you know, when marriage takes place, a wedding is done, I will. We haven't got a clue how we're going to do this, but I will, is what we say. That's a, that's a, a statement of faith, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that a statement of faith? I will. <laughs> Number three, living by faith demands that we curb our tongue. And we're just again looking at Paul's statement in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse thirteen, he says, We also believe and therefore speak. You know, it doesn't take long if we want to figure out if somebody's got faith or not. We spend a couple of hours with them and let them talk. We soon know whether they got faith or not. Because it'll all come out. Uh, or if they got faith and if they got doubt and unbelief, it'll also come out. Because what comes out of our mouth determines what's in the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart or out of the deposit of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's the trick, friends. Change the deposit. Put only good things in there and let no rubbish go in anymore. Because, you know, as they say, rubbish in, rubbish out. So living by faith demands that we curb our tongue. We can't walk by faith and have a loose tongue. Can't be done. Cannot be done. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. And what's that saying? They said, well, whatever we end up experiencing, whether it's death or life, it's mostly because of words we've spoken, because our word shapes our world. You know, God spoke faith-filled words in the beginning, and he created the world and the earth and the planets and everything that's in it for you and for me. But within God's big world, you and I, we create our own world by the words we speak. Think about it. Commitments we have made and lived up to. Decisions that we have made and that we verbally communicated and put out there. Death and life and the power of the tongue and they who indulge in it. Pastor Vanessa shared said a couple of weeks ago that when we went to Bible college, two years, every morning, packed the kids up, out the door, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And on the way from home down to where we dropped the kids off uh, and then go to, go to the classes, we indulged 
in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 through to verse 13. It speaks about all the blessings. But God says, you're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the field. You're blessed coming in, you're blessed going out. Your basket is blessed, your storehouse is blessed, your fruit of your womb is blessed. And we've spoken that, and we've spoken that, and we agreed with it, and we repeated it, we meditated in it. And it's amazing. It's amazing what God's done with that. When we spoke faithful words, God had something to work with. What have you given God lately to work with as far as the words of your mouth are concerned? Let's give God faith-filled words. Our words that go out of our mouth are like little containers, and they carry either life or death. And I, we don't mean by that physical death, though it'll end up there eventually. But, you know, a death to relationships, speaking death words. Death to finances. Oh, we could never afford that. You know, we've, we've decided we was going to curb our tongue. We will not go there with our mouth. I'd rather bite my tongue than say we can't afford this because this is no longer part of our language. We've decided that we walk by faith. And the Bible says that all things are possible to him who believes, but we must curb our tongue and be very purposeful in what we speak. So we indulged in, we indulged in um, Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 13 verses. After verse 14, it's just all the curses. We didn't go there. You know, you don't need to confess curses to get curses. The world, there's already a, a curse in operation, but to be blessed, you need to speak words of blessing. And we remind our, ourselves uh, of Jesus, that, uh, of, of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us, not just to save us, but to also give us a prosperous life. You see, one of the things that we've done for 30 years, we've preached prosperity unashamedly. It hasn't made us popular with some people, but we have preached prosperity. And what amazes me when I go away, and I've said this before, I go away and preach in other places, and while I'm away, I'm bragging about what's going on in the house here, and I'm bragging about our young people who have applied themselves and who have walked by faith. They've started tithing from the moment they get, got their pocket money, and now some of them are just like gone into amazing places out in the marketplace. And you know, when supposedly it's become too expensive to, to buy houses and everything, people are still buying houses in our house here. People are still stepping out there, doing the impossible. Because they've decided they was going to walk by faith and not believe what the world tells them. Not believe what their culture tells them. Not believe what the bank manager tells them. Not believe what the real estate agent tells them. I remember when Vanessa and I were looking around for a house and I went to see a real estate guy down in, in this direction here. I won't tell you the name, I won't tell you the company. I just went to talk to him. And here's this young guy turning up. Uh, and he started, before he was prepared to take me out to show me some houses, he started to quiz me a little bit as to how I was going to pay for the house. And then when I was a bit unsure, because I mean, we're stepping out in faith here, he sent me out the door and he never, never showed me a house. Well, we did buy a house. You know, you just, it's just because there's one setback, because somebody doesn't believe in you, you'll find somebody. We figured out a way. God showed us a way. And then we reminded ourselves that, you know, Jesus talking with his disciples and, and uh, you know, they talked about the rich young ruler and give everything away and everything else. And then, and then Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, he says, what are we going to have? We've left, uh, you know, lands and we left, uh, uh, you know, our, our families to follow you. And, 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 and Jesus replied, and he said in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, he says, he says, he says nobody having left lands or family to follow me, he says, well, as it were, miss out. God says, I'll give you fathers. I'll give you mothers. I'll give you brothers and sisters. I'll give you lands. I'll give you houses. And, and he talked about the hundredfold, he says, with persecution. So we have always kind of had a sense that, uh, that it's wonderful to be able to buy a house, but why stop after you bought one house? I mean, why stop? <laughs> because Jesus says we can have lands, plural, and houses, plural. Now, not everybody gets excited about that. They say, well, that means that somebody else is missing out. No, 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 no. Uh, it's it's uh, just, 
just, it's just, it's all about faith. It's just wherever our faith is at. We can stretch beyond where we are right now. I'm encouraging you, step beyond where you are right now. By faith, you can go way beyond. Don't let the world put a damper on you. Don't let people put a lid on you. Don't let your culture shut you down. It's the kingdom culture now that we're operating with. And the kingdom culture is one of prosperity. So once we understand the power of our tongue, we stop speaking words of death, words of defeat, words of destruction, and instead we speak words of life, words of blessing, words of victory, words of can do. We can do this. We can do this. We are can do people. David said in Psalm 29 verse 2, I said, I will watch my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will set a curb on my mouth. <laughs> I will set a curb on my mouth. You know, some of us, if you could see into the realm of the Spirit, um, you'd look at us and say, gosh, that guy's got a bridle on his, around his thing. You know, there's a bridle there. Because Book of James speaks about bridling our tongue, bridling our mouth, because with our mouth, our life either goes this way towards death or it goes this way towards life. And Book of James says that our tongue is like a rudder. It'll take us this way or that way, wherever the helmsman determines. And friend, you are the helmsman of your own life. You are the captain. You determine, like you're standing, and I'm not a boltsman at all, but, you know, standing on this thing, thing that turns the rudder, you can turn it this way, you can turn it that way. But the only way that you can go in the right direction is putting a bridle on your tongue. As, uh, as, yeah, sometimes the devil puts us under pressure, and then he puts thoughts in our heads, and then he says, come on, say it, say it. Because the devil knows if he can give me a thought in my head and pressure me enough to say it, he can lead me towards death. And I got a bit frustrated a while ago, and I, it's like, it's, like, like it's, it's almost like I sort of sense the devil say, come on, say it, say it. And it took me all my doings. I'm not going to say it. Because I know me. Once I say this, I know me. I'm, I'm a person of my word. Once I say something, that's my, my life set. The die is cast. Just watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Um, to walk by faith, we've got to become people of our word. We can't say, I'm going to turn up and not turn up. Can't say, I'm going to be early and then be late. Can't say, I will and then I won't. Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Become a person of your word. Make a commitment and stick with it. They used to teach us to say, make a quality decision from which there's no deviation, no return, or no repentance of. It's like you made a decision, and that's what we're going to do. James chapter 3, verse 10. We're moving quickly now because we're about to wrap up. How many of you are excited this morning about Jesus? All right. All right. James chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Words of thanksgiving and cursing pour out of the same mouth, my brothers and sisters, this should not be happening. No spring of water pours out sweet water and bitter water from the same opening. Now, we can't hardly appreciate that uh, fully. You know, in New Zealand, though we have bitter water, we have poisoned springs here in New Zealand. But in the Middle East uh, and where the Israelites came from, uh, as they went through the wilderness there, there was water out there, but it was, some of it was literally poisonous water. Bitter means not so much bitter in taste, though some of it was. It means poisonous water. And James is kind of picking up on that concept here. And he's speaking to the people about it. He said, look, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a, a person of your word. And don't speak blessing one moment and cursing in the, in, in the next. He says, how is it possible, he says, that out of one mouth can come words of blessing and then words of curses? He says, even nature teaches us that a, a spring is either one or the other. The spring doesn't like every five-minute change. 
and we shouldn't change. Once we've learned these truths, we become springs of blessing, springs of life. We only speak life and life only. We speak truth. It's even when, you know, when we have fun, you've got to watch what you say in fun because the Bible says that even foolish jesting is not convenient because along with that, saying things that we ought not to say. Because it's funny sometimes we think we get away with it, but the reality is that the Bible, Jesus tells us that, that one day we will be judged for every single word that's come out of our mouth. I don't know about you, but that's a bit of a sobering thought. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Number four, last point, living by faith demands that we learn the language of faith. And of course, we've already been discussing that along the way, uh, stating the obvious. But when we walk by faith, to do this properly and not be sort of left to random, hit or miss, we learn the language of faith. You know, if I wanted to go to another country and... To, you know, it's amazing how you can get around these days. You know, there has been a mixing and a mingling of peoples and of uh, languages and what have you. And you get around in most places with, you know, if you speak English and maybe one other, two other languages, you, you get around. But to really get into a country properly and to, to be able to fully participate, we need to learn the language. If I were to go, say, for argument's sake, to China, I have no intentions on going there. But if I wanted to go there and work there, live there and everything, I'd have to learn Chinese, uh, um, whatever that means and looks like. If I wanted to go to South Africa, I wanted to go to Europe, to one of the countries there, in order for me to operate in that country, I have to learn that language. And if I want to operate in, 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 the, in, the, in the world of faith, I need to learn the language of faith. And the language of faith, as we've already said, is a language that speaks life. We have learned... Or we learn how to communicate even negative things and try to do it in such a way that we're not releasing doubt and unbelief in the process. Sometimes we state fact because some fact needs to be stated and needs to be addressed and needs to be discussed, but then we switch into faith. Okay, these are the facts. But here is what we say out of our spirit. Here are the words of faith on how we deal with this fact. Romans chapter 10, verse 8, in the message translation says, The word that saves is right here, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as close as the heart in your chest. It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. So Paul spoke about the word of faith here in Romans chapter 8, and he says, the word of faith which we preach, says it is actually at the core of our preaching. Now, the word of faith in the first instance is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it's actually preaching the whole, the whole word, the whole counsel of God with a faith dynamic to it. And thereafter, every word that comes out of our mouth is a word of faith. Even if we need to address unpleasant things and potentially, you know, sort of bad news, we turn it around, we say, okay, these might be the facts, but here's what our faith says, and then we speak faith and we change the facts. So the question is, do we speak words of death or do we speak just words of fact or do we speak words of faith? Because in the end, what we speak will determine where our life will be in a year's time, five years' time, where our families will be, where our business will be at, and where our whole world will be at. It's largely determined by the words that we speak. So with that, let me close with a word of prayer and uh, just trust that you've been encouraged today and reminded of things that you already know. Perhaps some of these concepts might have been new to you, but I would really encourage you. Uh, let's, be, let's be people of faith. With everything that goes on today in the world, we can only rise above it by faith. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for, Lord, uh, these wonderful people, people that are born again, filled with your Spirit, people of the Word, people of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a spirit of faith.
where we believe and we also speak. Father, I thank you for every family that's represented here today. We pronounce a blessing over every family, a blessing of life, a blessing of health, a blessing of prosperity, a blessing of peace in every home. We speak peace over every marriage. We speak the blessing of God over our descendants, our children, and our children's children. We thank you, Lord God, that you've blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we remind ourselves this morning who you, who you are and, Lord, who you made us to be and who we have become and, Lord, who we are still becoming. We want to thank you, Lord God, that Victory Christian Center is the planting of the Lord, that this is the Lord's house. This is here for your glory and for your glory alone. This is not here to lift up man, but this is here to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ in our city, in our community, in our, and in our nation, and indeed around the world. We thank you, Father, for everything that you've helped us to do over the 30 years. And Lord, we project ahead into greater years that, Lord, that the path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter unto that day. We're going to get stronger and stronger. We're going to walk in, in, in the manifestation of greater blessings, of greater anointings, greater strength. We're going to be more effective in reaching out. Now, thank you, Father, for every family, every person that's here today.